Hi, and welcome to worship. I'm Jason, one of the pastors here at Schweitzer. We're so glad that you've joined us in worship today, wherever you're at. We hope you're having a great day. We're going to have a great time in the Lord today. Today, we're kicking off a new sermon series, Elijah, a person just like us. We're going to be here for several weeks. It's going to be a really good study to see what God is up to in Elijah's life and what God is up to in our lives. If you're new, worshiping with us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. Would you take a moment, check in, let us know that you're here. We've got a gift card that we'd like to send to you to say thanks. If you've been worshiping with us for a long time and you'd like to go deeper with the sermon series, we'd encourage you to go to sumc.co slash next. You'll find sermon discussion questions and a lot of other ways where you can grow deeper in your faith. Now join me as we listen to Stephanie as she highlights some ways that we can grow deep in our faith here at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. The fall semester is officially underway and we're so excited to have kids and youth back on campus for worship, learning, and fun. Every Wednesday night, 7th through 12th graders will meet in the Student Center from 6.30 to 8.15. And every other Wednesday at the same time, 5th and 6th graders will be meeting in the gym for our special preteen ministry called Route 56. In addition to all of this, Five nights during the fall, we're going to have what we're calling R&R nights. These are opportunities for parents to have a night out and kids through fourth grade to get a chance to refresh and recharge. Our first one's happening this Wednesday, September 15th, registrations required. You can find out more about all of these things and sign up for those R&R nights at sumc.co slash kids. For adults this fall, in addition to our ongoing groups and classes, our partnership with Flourish is offering a class called The Story of God on Sunday nights. You can find out more about this class during our fall kickoff this Sunday from 5.30 to 6.30 or sign up for the eight-week course beginning on September 19th. Then, coming in October, we have even more ways for you to connect. Our new ministry second season for those aged 55 and older will be holding their kickoff Boomer Bash on Friday, October 8th, followed by a seminar on Saturday, October 9th that will inspire you to serve and maximize this season of life. You can find out more at sumc.co slash second season, or if you're here in person this morning, stop by the info booth where you can sign up and find out more today. On October 16th and 17th, we're inviting all Schweitzer ladies to take a weekend away for our fall women's retreat. This will be a great opportunity to find encouragement alongside other ladies and is also a great way to make new friends and spend some great time just relaxing and praying. We look forward to seeing you at this event and you can find out more at our sumc.co slash next page. We know there's a lot going on at Schweitzer and a great way to keep up with what's going on and sign up for events is by downloading the Schweitzer Church Center app to your smart device. You can also find out about events and sign up at our next page at sumc.co slash next. We are so glad you're with us this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. Hey, if you're worshiping live with us, we encourage you to take a moment and say hello to those in the chat. If you'd like prayer, somebody would be in the prayer room. They'd be happy to pray with you. Now join me as we get ready to worship. We invite you, Lord Jesus, to draw us close to you. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and feet that are ready for action. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
blood was spilled My ransom Everything I once held dear I count it all as loss Lead me to the cross Elijah was a prophet, and things didn't always go Elijah's way. After Oscar Romero, a bishop from the South America, passed away, another bishop in the Catholic Church called Bishop Utner wrote a prayer called Prophets of a Future Not Our Own. And as we get ready to embark on this sermon series of walking with Elijah, this prayer seems fitting for us. So I invite you to join me in praying today. It helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing this. This enables us to do something, and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but it is, that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, 
not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Kind Father, in prayer, we come to you, oftentimes with things that are present daily in our life. And yet, in the midst of prayer, when we listen, you remind us that you do hold the future and the present and the past. And we can trust you because you are always taking the long view. So here are prayers that we offer up today and teach us to pray with the words of Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue worship today, one of the acts of worship is the act of giving. And so today, if you'd like to give as a part of your worship, you can go to sumc.co slash give. You can give through the Church Center app, or you could stop by or mail something to the church. However you give, your giving, we're so grateful because it's been generous. It's gone lots of places to continue and to further and partner with what God is up to in this world. One of the things your giving makes possible is a rather robust staff here at Schweitzer. And that staff is able to do a number of things because of your generosity. The staff here at Schweitzer is able to come alongside of you and to partner in ministry to see what God wants to do in and through the ministries of Schweitzer and through your ministry. So thank you for being a part of what God is up to and thank you for your generosity. Thanks for giving today. The Lord bless you. This is the story of a man The story of a man raised up by God in a time of spiritual and moral decline. The story of a man who would bring the nation of Israel back to God. But this is not the story of a warrior, a superhero, or even a king. This is the story of Elijah. Someone just like us. During the 38th year of the reign of King Asa of Judah, a man named Ahab became the king of Israel. Ahab was wicked and incited the wrath of God more than all the kings before him. He worshiped the false god Baal and built an altar and a temple to him in Samaria. During his reign, the city of Jericho was rebuilt, costing the lives of the builders' sons, fulfilling the prophecy spoken by Joshua. One day, Elijah came before Ahab with a message from God. As surely as the God of Israel lives, in the next years there will be a great drought. Neither rain nor dew will touch the earth 
unless I give the word. And then God told Elijah, Get out of here and fast. Head east and hide out on the other side of the Jordan River. I have commanded the ravens to feed you, and you shall drink fresh water from the brook. Elijah did as God instructed, and sure enough, the ravens brought him food twice a day, and Elijah satisfied his thirst by drinking from the brook. Eventually, the brook became dry because of the drought, and so God gave Elijah new instructions. Get up and go to Zarephath. Do not leave there for any reason. I've instructed a widow there to take care of you. Elijah did as God instructed and found the widow at the gates of the city, gathering wood. Please bring me some water to quench my thirst. As she began to do so, Elijah also asked for bread. The widow said, I have no bread. In fact, I am starving. I have nothing except for a bit of flour in a bowl and a few drops of oil in a jar. I was gathering this wood to make a fire so my son and I could eat one last bite of food and then die. It's all over for us. Elijah replied, Do not worry. Go ahead and do what you've said, but first make some for me and bring it back here. Then you and your son may eat your own bread. God has promised your supplies will not run out before God sends rain on the land and ends this drought. The widow did exactly as Elijah had asked, and everyone who lived in her house had food for days. The bowl of flour and the jar of oil did not run out, just as God had said. Later on, the widow's son grew fatally ill. His sickness took a turn for the worst, and eventually he stopped breathing. The widow said to Elijah, Why did you come here, a so-called holy man, barging in, exposing my sins and killing my son? Elijah took the dead boy, carried him upstairs to his room, and laid him on his bed. Elijah prayed, Oh God, my God! Why have you brought this terrible thing on this widow who has opened her home to me? Why have you killed her son? Three times, Elijah stretched himself out full length on the boy, praying with all his might. God, my God, bring this boy back to life. God heard Elijah's cry and brought the boy back to life. Elijah carried him back to his mother and said, here is your son, alive again. Rejoicing, the widow said to Elijah, I see it all now. You are a holy man. The word of the God from your mouth is the truth. Welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad you're here with us today. This is going to be the start of a new series 
We're going to spend the next eight weeks exploring the life of one of the heroes of the Bible. His name is Elijah. We find him in the Old Testament. We're going to be in 1 Kings today. And as we, as we study Elijah's life, we're going to see just an incredibly inspiring person. This is a man who trusts God. He is brave. He is somebody who, who sticks his neck out in, in just obedience to the Lord. Um, he's somebody who sees miraculous things happen through him. He has convictions, just so, so inspiring. So we're going to study him for the next eight weeks, explore his story. And um, sometimes when you read these, these kind of heroes, rows of the Bible. You're left wondering about what, what is it that makes them like that? Why are they so special? Why, why can't I be like them? But the truth is these, these heroes of the Bible are just people, just, just like us. Hence the title of our series, Just Like Us. Elijah is just like us. He is a person just like us. In fact, the New Testament in the book of James says that exact line, James chapter 5, verse 17, Elijah is a man just like us. That's the promise we have of scripture. He's just a person he puts his pants on one leg at a time or he didn't wear pants. He puts his cloak on like over his head, just like us. It's, he's a person. And so as we read through Elijah's life, it's incredibly inspiring. But then we're also going to see some of his struggles, some of his doubts, some of his weaknesses that he has as well as we, as we look through his life and see that he is just like us. And as, as I go through this, my hope for you is that you would be encouraged to see that just as God moved powerfully through Elijah's life, God can move powerfully in your life. So today, as we start out, we're going to meet the main characters. First Kings chapter 17 is when we meet Elijah. Uh, we, we see him right off the bat. And, and if you understand Elijah, you also have to understand the king of Israel. His name is Ahab. Ahab is uh, introduced the chapter before Elijah. He's the king of Israel. And if you read through First and Second Kings, one of the things you would learn is that the kings of Israel are just terrible. I mean, they're all just terrible. And Elijah, he or Ahab, I'm sorry, he takes the cake. I mean, he is just terrible. And so we're going to see Ahab's story as we go through Elijah and, and just how terrible Ahab is. Um, Ahab's wife, her name is Jezebel. Uh, Jezebel is very smart, very ruthless. And Jezebel uh, doesn't come from Israel. She comes from an, another country called Sidon. And she's been leading her husband and the people of Israel to worship another god, a Canaanite god named Baal, which we're also going to see. So we see the main players of, of Elijah. We see Ahab, we see Jezebel, and in the background is this false god, uh, Baal, that we're going to see week after week, this challenge with this. So we see Elijah for the very beginning. Elijah shows up in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, goes like this. It says, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, it may not sound like it right there, but what, what Elijah just does is he just challenged all of those main players, Ahab, Jezebel, and of course, this false god, Baal. Because you see, what's, what's going on here is that while Ahab and Jezebel are leading the people to worship this, this god, Baal, this, this challenge here about the rain is really a challenge towards the power of this false god. This, this Canaanite God, because this Canaanite God, Baal, he is the, the God of storms. He's the God of fertility. He's the God who brings rain. And so Elijah shows up and is like, you think this guy is where the rain comes from? You think he is the God of rain? No, 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 no. He's like the Lord Yahweh. He is the source of life. He's the source of what you're looking for. And to prove that point, there's going to be three challenges through First Kings 17 that just prove the power of the Lord Yahweh over the power of this false God, Baal. The first one, the Lord says to, to Elijah, after, after he confronts Ahab, he says, go east of the Jordan, go out into the wilderness. And which is a, another way of saying, leave the country of Israel, because the Jordan River was a boundary of ancient Israel. So leave, leave Israel, go east of the Jordan, leave the, the country, and, and even there I'm going to provide for you. Because in, in those days, what it, was, it was thought that every 
nation had its own God and those gods had power within those nations. And sometimes even within those nations, there were regional gods like that hill or that mountain or that brook might have its own God. And that's where that God had power. And so the Lord's like, you know what? I can provide for you even outside of Israel because I am the one true God. And so go outside of Israel, go east of the Jordan. And there the Lord provides for, for Elijah in this miraculous way with the ravens and the, and the brook. After the brook dries up, of course, though, because it's not raining even outside of Israel, the Lord sends Elijah to another place. Did you catch where it was? It's verse nine. It says, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and, th- and stay there. Now, did you, did you see what region that was? It was the region of Sidon. And do you remember who was from Sidon? That's right, Jezebel. So go into Jezebel's backyard and there I'm gonna provide for you. I love it. This is where the Lord's gonna provide for him. And, and Sidon is not just Jezebel's backyard. It's also the home country of the worship of Baal. So he's like, you think I'm limited to just Israel? Go, go to, to Baal's backyard, Jezebel's backyard, and even there, I'm gonna provide for you. And I love how the Lord provides for him because he's, the Lord shows up in this miraculous way to Elijah by, by uh, this, this poor widow who has nothing. And she's so broke that she's about to eat her last meal because she's out of food. And this is how the Lord provides. And I just, I love this, that the, the Lord provides for Elijah through this act of, of poverty. Like where everyone else sees scarcity, God sees abundance and God is able to provide for him in this incredible way. And so as you see these challenges start to unwind, you're, you're left with this, with this undeniable truth that the Lord is the one who is powerful, not this false God, Baal. And if you had any doubt about it, the last of the three challenges, Elijah is, it prays for this widow's son who dies and he comes back to life. Like the Lord has power, this false God, Baal does not. The Lord has power over rain. The Lord has power over death. The Lord has power to answer prayers. The Lord is the one who provides. He is the one who gives life. This is the undeniable truth of what you find in 1 Kings 17. And, and Elijah's out there proclaiming this truth all by himself. And, and it's just so inspiring. Now, sometimes when I read uh, stories like this in, in 1 Kings 17 about Elijah, I'm left with a, like with a question. I, I'm just kind of left wondering, kind of scratching my head like, why was this even really a, a question to begin with? Why was this even a struggle to begin with? Like as a modern person, I'm reading this story and I'm, I'm seeing these ways that the Lord has provi- proven his power over the false God Baal. And I'm like, why were the people even, even wondering who to worship? Why, why, why was this a question to begin with? Which God do we worship? And, and how does this, you know, which of the, the many gods out there should we, should we follow? And it's just kind of a hard thing to wrap my mind around. And yet, this really is a struggle that happens throughout the scripture, especially the Old Testament is, is so much about this, this struggle of which God are you going to serve? I mean, I think about some of the examples here. I think about how the Ten Commandments start. Remember this? Ten Commandments start like this, Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So the Ten Commandments start off with this line about, I am the true God, I'm it, I'm the one who delivered you. And then comes the first of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment was this. Verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. Better translated as you shall have no other gods instead of me. That's really how that's translated. So the Ten Commandments start off with not how do you treat people, but don't worship other gods because this struggle of which God are you gonna worship, it, it's real. It's a real struggle you have in the Bible. I think about some of the Psalms. The Psalms are full of this struggle of which God are you gonna worship. Uh, Psalm 135, for instance, says it like this. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. 
uh, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust to them. Or, or what we read in the prophets. The prophets, of course, have a ton to say about the worship of false gods. Jeremiah, in particular, compares idolatry, which is the worship of false gods, to adultery, which is unfaithfulness to the Lord. Listen to this. Jeremiah chapter 3 says, Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she uh, defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. The stone and wood here is referencing these idols, this worship of, of false gods. And so the struggle of, of, of worshiping these false gods, it's all over the Old Testament. And it just shows up over and over and over again. And, and, and the struggle is Elijah's whole ministry. I mean, his whole ministry is going to be offering a voice, a prophetic voice of truth that the Lord is the one true God. So even though this struggle is all over the Bible, like Elijah shows up and he's just speaking this truth that it's the worship of the Lord, one true God. And so as modern people, we're like, that's a really strange struggle. Like that's the thing that they're struggling with. Why would that be? And it's helpful to, to understand the struggle of really Really helpful if you, if you just kind of narrow it down and think about this through the lens of this false god Baal. So you think about this. What would life have been like all these thousands of years ago? You live in a desert climate and here comes this promise through this other god that, that if you worship him, there will be rain. Rain is, is everything to you. If it rains, you survive. If it doesn't rain, you die. And so your survival, your family's survival, your community's survival, it's, it's all hinged on this promise of rain. And so Here's this false God that's being, that's being preached and, and taught to the people. And it's all about this promise of, of rain that, that, that's going to come to you. And this is what's, what's available to you. And, and this is all of life is going to come down to this. And so it's a very attractive promise that you, that you have here. So if you were one of those people and you were like, if it doesn't rain, we die. And if it rains, we live. What do I have to do in order to make it rain? What do I have to do in order to get Baal to be on my side so that it, that it rains for us? And so these, these false gods would, would require sacrifices and uh, Baal would require a very steep cost that if you're going to worship him and get the blessing of his reign to come down on your land, it's going to come at a very steep cost. There's a ton of archaeological evidence that shows that the way that you get the God of fertility to bless you with rain and fertility is that you offer up your own fertility to him, meaning children, child sacrifice. This is one of the ways that you would worship this false god. It comes at an incredibly high cost. And so as modern people, we're like, what in the world? How, how in the world would people ever buy into that, that if they sacrifice their children, that this would be how they get rain? Like, it doesn't make any sense to us. But you have to remember, this is all about survival. Because if, if it doesn't rain, it, it doesn't work and, and we die. And so it's all about survival. What do I have to do to get the most people to survive? Now, a lot of people who study these ancient cultures, a lot of people have noticed that really when you boil down this promise of rain or whatever it might be from any other false god, that really what this promise is usually about is it's not just about rain, but it's, it's really about, about control. Because you live in a, in a land, a time where there is no control. I mean, if it doesn't rain, you have no control over the rain. And if it doesn't rain, you die. Or, or and that's just rain. I mean, there's other things you don't control as well. You don't control, for instance, what if a neighboring nation comes in and raids your land and steals everything you have and takes your children to be slaves? Like, didn't see that coming, can't control that at all. Or, or what if someone gets sick? There's no vaccinations or antibiotics or hospitals or therapeutics in order to, to find healing. Like, there's nothing to that. There's just so many things that are outside of your control. And so you start to hear this and you think, 
oh, there's a chance for me to control the, the things in my life that are just chaos and I have no control over. And so these promises of the false gods are, are oftentimes really about this, this promise of control in my life. But here's the thing about a promise of control. Um, the promise of control is, is an illusion because you can't really control these things that are outside of your control. You might think that you can, but you, you can't really control this. And, and, and as you start to think about this, this deeper thing that this worship of false gods is about, this pursuit of control, you very quickly realize that, you know what? As modern people, I may not be tempted to worship Baal, but I spend all kinds of energy trying to find out how I can control the things in my life that feel like they're out of control. All kinds of energy trying to control the circumstances that just feel chaotic and the things that I, I can't wrap my mind around. All of us do that. I think about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, he talks about some false gods. In Matthew 6, Jesus, um, he says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. That could have been taken straight from the lips of Elijah. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve the Lord and some false god. You can't do it. He goes on, he says, either you, you will hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then Jesus very specifically names a false God and not something that most of us would think of as a false God, but he names a very specific false God. And he says this, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve two masters. And Jesus very specifically names the false God of money. Now, money is certainly not something you might think of as a false God, but if you think about money in, in really in comparison to Baal, you can see a ton of comparisons in these promises that maybe money provides that this false God Baal would have provided. For instance, um, both offer a promise of control. The more money you have, the more you feel like you can control your life, that you have more control over the circumstances of your life, that this is a promise that money offers to you, that, that you have more control, comes at a steep cost. I mean, I think we all can think of people who have, whose lives have been destroyed by an unhealthy relationship with money, either through spending or maybe, maybe through, through worry or, or, or anxiety or, or people who, in their pursuit of money, they've sacrificed their family, their marriage, their children. They haven't fostered those relationships because money was more important to them than that. I mean, it comes at a steep cost. And then ultimately, of course, the promise of control, even with money, is, is an illusion because even if you have a lot of money, there's things that you can't buy control of. This just isn't how it works. It's, it's a false God. There's all kinds of ways this works. And this is why Elijah is so inspiring. Because Elijah trusts the Lord when it's utterly out of control. He trusts the Lord to lead him into the wilderness away from Israel by a brook where he's fed by ravens, totally out of his control. He trusts the Lord to provide for him through this widow. I mean, she has nothing at all, and yet he trusts the Lord to provide for her and him in a way that is totally out of control. Or he trusts the Lord to provide when this kid is dead. I mean, what do you do about that? And yet he trusts the Lord. This is why he's so inspiring that even when things are out of control, he still trusts the Lord. And so the these false gods have this promise of, uh, of control. It's an illusion, of course, but this, this promise of control. But what the Lord pr promises um, is not so much control, but what the Lord promises is, is provision. The Lord promises faithfulness. The Lord promises to take care of us. And he does this when we surrender control. His provision comes when we give up control. This is how the relationship with the Lord works, which is utterly opposite than how 
the relationship with false gods work, that when we surrender control to him, this is when we really find that God provides for us. And based on my own experience with God, I, I can tell you that the times I've seen God move the most in my life have been the times where I feel like things are most out of control. And when I've had to surrender the outcome to God and just say, you know what, Lord, I trust you with how this is going to go, even though I, I don't have the answers to this. This reminds me of that time that Jesus was with his disciples. It was a long day. He'd been preaching and teaching to people all day long. And maybe he had gone a little bit long and there was this huge crowd that had gathered to hear him teach. And he just, he went a little bit longer than the time allowed. And so, and so his disciples come up to him. This is Matthew chapter 14. And, and he says to him, like he said, they said to him this, he says, Jesus, um, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. So send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and, and buy themselves some food. I love I love what the disciples do here because it's what I would have done. They like pull Jesus aside and be like, hey, Jesus, uh, I know we got this problem. It's getting late. There's all these people. Here's a solution to the problem. I got a plan. Here's the Google map. Here's how it goes. It's real simple. It's not, not, a, not a big deal at all. This is the solution to the problem that you created because you went long in your teaching. And so we solved the problem. Don't worry anything about it. Jesus. We, we got it underhand. We got it under control. We got it under control. We've, we've solved your problem. With Jesus had to roll his eyes at that point and just shake his head and think to themselves, you solved my problem. Oh, hold on a second. Like with a smirk, I'm sure it was with a smirk. Jesus comes back to him and he says this, they don't need to go anywhere. He says, you give them something to eat. Now, what would you do if you're one of the disciples right here? There's thousands of people on this hillside who've come to hear Jesus preach, thousands of them. And Jesus looks to you and says, no, 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 you give them something to eat. You're going to solve this problem. What are you going to do about that? And I, I can't imagine what that would feel like. I'd be like, me? I, I can't feed thousands of people. How in the world am I going to feed thousands of people? I don't have the resources for that. We don't have the food for that. I don't have the money for that. There's no way that I can do this. There's no way that this can happen. And Jesus had to know that this was, this was way outside their comfort zone. And all of a sudden, these disciples have been pushed beyond their comfort zone, which, by the way, as a Christian, this is when you grow, is when you get pushed past your comfort zones because you have to trust God with things that are outside of your control. Just this last week, I was talking to a man in our church. Um, I was asking him to, to serve in our youth group, to, to be a small group leader. And this is what he came back with me. It was like, oh man, I, I, sh I should probably say yes, he says, but it, it's just, it's out of my comfort zone. It's out of, out of what I'm comfortable doing. And, and I like, I totally, totally, totally get it. But I also can't think about Jesus here. And he's like, you give them something to eat you step up and lead. You follow me in this hard situation. You speak the word of invitation to that person to come to church. You pray with that person. Like you do this work that it's not for someone else to do. Like you do it. You give them something to eat. And so the disciples, they hear Jesus say this and they have to be scared out of their mind and they come up with an excuse, good excuse. Here's the excuse. He says, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fishes, they answer. This is, this is what we have. This is not gonna work. Right? This, this is my excuse. This is what we have. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to take place because we don't have enough in order for these people to eat. This would be like Elijah being like, oh, I'm in the wilderness. Baal must have won because now I don't have enough food and he doesn't see the ravens coming with bread. Or, or if he'd been in, in Sidon and, and this widow had been there and he'd be like, you can't provide for me. You don't have enough. You'd, there's not enough oil in that jar for you to provide for me. Or, or what are we going to do about this kid? He's dead. There's no way that we can go forward. This has been Elijah just giving up and saying, oh, I don't have enough to solve this problem. But the thing is, the Lord, he's not impressed with our excuses. So instead, 
You know, the Lord, what, what he sees is, is opportunity when we see scarcity. He sees abundance. What the, what the Lord does is, is he sees that, that these excuses that we come up with, they're not very impressive because they're about us when really he wants us to live a life that's about him. And so he's not very impressed with these things because you're right, you know, you don't have enough. The Lord's like, instead, trust me to take care of you because it's not about you. It's really about me. It's really about what I can do. And so he pushes us and stretches us and leads us into places that are way beyond what we can imagine or understand. And as, as the story keeps going here, the, this is what happens to the disciples. They're pushed, they're stretched, they're put in a place that's way outside their comfort zone. And this is when the power of God shows up to work in them. Listen how the story keeps going. So he says, bring them here to me, your loaves of bread, your few fish. And he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and they just, uh, the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Thousands of people. I love this. Thousands of people were able to eat because the power of God shows up. Thousands of people were provided for, ministered to when the disciples were stretched and went beyond what they could understand, what they could imagine, and what they could have faith for. When they stretched beyond what they could come up with answers for and the plan that they had, like they were stretched beyond this. And this is when the power of God shows up. I love it. I have this friend who talks a lot about how we need to change how we think about God because he'll, he'll talk about how we as Christians, we have like some really big thoughts about God. For instance, we have this thought that Jesus rose from the dead and that his resurrection is going to bring life to us for eternity. And so we have this thought, it's a really big thought. And he's like, we have this big thought about God. But then my friend, he, he comes back, he's like, but why is it that when it comes to our life, like every single day, we have small thoughts? He's like, why is it that Christians can, can believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but they don't believe that Jesus can actually lead their life on a daily basis? Like, why is it that we can believe that Jesus is going to be able to provide eternity for us, but we don't believe that Jesus is able to give us wisdom to navigate that sticky situation at work? So we don't even pray about it. Or we don't believe that Jesus can actually give us the strength to deal with that difficult person. Or we don't believe that Jesus can actually, you know, uh, uh, heal our bodies or our spirits or heal a relationship or actually deliver us from sin and the, and the power of temptation in our life. Like, why is it we don't believe that Jesus can actually do these things? We have, we have big thoughts about God, but we have small thoughts when it comes to what he can really do in our life. And so my friend's always pushing me, Spencer, you gotta have big thoughts about what God can do. Big thoughts about how God can provide. And this is, this is what Elijah does. Elijah has these big thoughts about what God can do in the middle of the wilderness with this widow, with this dead, son, dead child. Like these big thoughts of what God can do in situations that are totally outside of control. Elijah is so inspiring to me because what everyone does around him is they run after control. They run after trying to grasp control when it's really just an illusion. But Elijah, he trusts the Lord. He trusts the Lord when it doesn't make sense. He trusts the Lord when, when, when maybe he shouldn't. He trusts the Lord when there'd be all kinds of excuses to come up with other than, than trusting him. And yet this is what he does. He trusts the Lord. And you know what? Elijah's a man just like us. May you, just like Elijah, trust the Lord. May you trust the Lord to take you beyond what's comfortable. 
May you trust the Lord to take you beyond what you can control. May you trust the Lord to take you into places where you see the power of God at work in you and your family and your friends and your church and your city. May you trust the Lord like Elijah. Let's pray. And so Father, today we hear this, uh, this word about Elijah, this inspiring a picture of a man who trusts you and, and he's just like us. And so Lord, would you forgive us for the ways that we make excuses and sometimes keep you small in our, in our brains, our minds, and we, we don't trust you with the big things or the small things in your life. We don't trust you to actually lead us in miraculous ways to provide for us. And instead, we just, we seek to gain control and pull it closer and closer to us. And so for some of us, uh, we are probably facing some very specific setbacks and challenges and some very specific things that are confusing to us. And, and we want to surrender this to you. Lord, we don't know how it's going to work. We don't know what the outcome might be, but we want to put this in your hands and trust you because you are the real God. You are the one true Lord and we can surrender our lives to you knowing that you love us, that you're kind to us and that you will lead us. And for anyone who's with us today who, who doesn't know this presence of God, this trust in you, may today be a day where they put their faith in you with a simple prayer. Lord, would you forgive me my sins? Would you lead my life? So God, today we turn to you, we love you, and we ask you to, to lead us beyond what's comfortable that we're gonna see a move of God take place in our life. We love you so much. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Sisters and brothers, thanks for joining us in worship today. Hope you were blessed. Hope the Lord spoke to your heart. Uh, thanks today to Stephanie. T thanks to the production team. Thanks to the worship team. Hope leaders in worship. Thanks to Spencer for that sermon on Elijah. If the sermon touched you today, we encourage you to take a moment and share that with other people in your world. You can share that through social media or lots of other ways. We look forward to seeing you next week as we dive into Elijah for the second week to see what God is up to in his world and what he's up to in our world. The Lord bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.